Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Thank you all for joining me for another week. On today's episode, I go through the news, and yes, spoiler alert, it has to do with the student loan forgiveness that we're seeing and what's going to happen in November and things like that. Now, actually, I don't make a prediction of what's going to happen in November. Here's your prediction. I think the Republicans will overtake the House, but polls are tightening. I get into that a little bit in the news segment. And then from there, obviously, I got my two buddies coming on. We talk blue and white scrimmage. We do a recap. Chase Bartholomew, Austin Story. We're so nice to come on the podcast. And then after that, I close out with a with a spiritual thought, kind of like some ideas. And we're, we're in Mormon this time. And it's specifically talking about how Mormon basically laments the Nephites' apathy and the way they find happiness. And that there are two types of sorrow, which I find interesting. I think you guys will like that one. That is the gist of today's episode, but before we go ahead and kick it off to the news segment and get you all started on the episode, I do want to share that I kind of have a sponsor, I guess. You know, I've become, become, what a, become somewhat of a merchant representative for Odyssey Snacks, and that's because this protein bar is incredible, and because of that, you all have access to 10% off. Now, they're amazing. They hit the macros great. That's protein, fat, and carbs. I love the breakdown there. I personally really like them. They're very satisfying just in a lot of ways. You don't really feel that hungry. They're not really high in calories, about 220 per bar, high protein amount, and not too much carbs, which I love, but it's very satisfactory. Anyway, very good stuff, very healthy. Check out odysseysnacks.com slash harpy10. That's H-A-R-P-E-Y-1-0. They can get you 10% off your order, or you can just put in Harpy10 at the checkout code for as a coupon code, H-A-R-P-E-Y-1-0, and you get 10% off. Check them out. They've got some great flavors. I specifically love the banana peanut butter. I know that sounds weird, but it really goes very well together. So anyway, check it out. Let me know, and I uh, hope you all enjoy that, and we'll catch you all on the other side. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, yes the, Mormons the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. I always appreciate that shout out from Joe Rogan. It's always good to hear from him from time to time, you know? Anyway, shout out to the Latter day Saints. Okay, so. News of the week, according to Harper, according to Latter-day Takes, what is it? Well, in my mind, a lot of it is the fact that the Republicans' lead for this November is actually kind of shrinking. It's not, like, small necessarily, but there are some polls out there that showing that Demo- Democrats are kind of, like, evening things out for the House and the Senate so that, that it necessarily won't be a landslide for the Republicans over the Democrats come November. I thought that was interesting, but here's the reason why at least— maybe in part, and that is that the White House is doing whatever they can to change the narrative, right? 
Now, you can't blame them, of course. Like, that's what White Houses do on both sides. I'm not saying that's unique to uh, the Biden White House necessarily. But this is all compounded by the fact that student loan forgiveness is basically going to be a thing now, which I find interesting. So there's a couple components to this from what I understand. Uh, It's a a $10,000, up to $10,000 in loan forgiveness for households that make less than $125,000. Now, I don't know what the caveats are to all this, right? And it also has to be a public loan, meaning that you got it through the government. Now, what's interesting to me, and this is what's personal, is that I have a student loan that I used for my master's degree. I didn't actually need to take one out for uh, my PhD, um, fortunately, right? Because a lot of those are funded and you can kind of get by if you're just, you know, not too crazy with money, things like that. So, um, for my master's degree, I actually took one out and then ended up being funded. So I didn't even need all of it, but I just, I mean, at that point you kind of just have it. So all in all with interest, my loan is less than 10,000. It's about just right at 9,000. And I find that interesting because I don't know where I qualify. Do I qualify as a household? Do I not? I don't love this on principle alone. I think this is terrible. I think this doesn't teach at all the lessons that we should be teaching. I think this encourages more people to go out there and take loans out that they don't really, they're at least not confident they can pay back, thinking that at least, well, it'll be subtracted by 10,000. And you know what? This is setting a precedent for it being, you know, forgiven in larger amounts. Um, So I don't know exactly what this is going to entail. I don't see how this helps the economy. I certainly, I think it actually causes more problems to the inflation problem that we're seeing right now, and it adds to that. So I don't really understand the reasoning um, besides the fact that they're doing it to get maybe a little bit more votes uh, come November. That's the only thing I can seem to tie it to. Now, based on principle, like I said, I'm against this, but I'm curious if I even qualify and if what, what I should do at that point. And I've been told before, like, well, whenever there's something like an opportunity for the government to you know, participate in some type of program like this, you do it because at the end of the day, you're going to have to pay it back somehow anyway. You're going to have to pay it back in more taxes. You're going to have to pay it back through this, that, or the other. So you may as well take advantage of whatever they give you. And that's kind of the, it's kind of true. Like the company that I, I work for, we we took out a PPP loan, right? Which was the payroll loan during COVID, which is like, if you are a company that reached these specifications, we will throw you however much money. And it was about 60 to 70K, I believe. And we qualified, so we took it because the idea was that you're going to have to pay for this eventually anyway. And we're kind of seeing that now through inflation and through other tax measures that have come from there. So I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings about it anyway, but it's it's interesting just on my level kind of like to see if I qualify for something like this. Now, I... I think personally that you solve the problem by not letting the government be allowed in any of this at all. I don't think the government should give out loans for educations. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think they should be involved in pretty much anything after high school. I don't see why they would be, but here we are. I, I think high school education is important. I think that's very clearly a lot of kids don't have that opportunity. I think from there you can privatize loans. You can maybe offer incentives to companies that do private loans for education and you make that competition more stiff because then you might find for one you'll find more stringent qualifications to even get a loan to qualify for an education loan i don't think they're going to necessarily give out 
loans to major in underwater basket weaving anytime soon, or at least not big ones, because that's what we saw. We saw irresponsibility on the government's part. They said, oh, you're going to major in English. Yeah, sure. Take $200,000. It's like, sure, you could potentially find a job that could pay that off over time if you're like a top English professor at a top university over the course of like 20 years, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it was very irresponsible how they went about doing it. But if you privatize it and if you incentivize these private companies to do it uh, through maybe tax deductions or whatever else, then you'll still find um, a situation where these there are people that would otherwise not have a, a good opportunity to go to school. Now, this is all kind of moot because higher education has become a sham in a lot of ways. It has become, you know, a racket because it has increased, I believe, tuition. The cost of tuition has increased three times the rate of inflation since like the 60s. What does that tell you? That tells you that these institutions aren't spending money in the right place. So obviously I have a lot of opinions on this. I guess maybe I should apologize for that. But I just think there's so many problems here and we put too much value on higher education as it is. And this is coming from somebody that has a couple degrees in higher education. So I'm not coming from any biased standpoint. I think it's way overrated to get a degree in higher education. I think trade schools are probably, I think they should be the future. And and hopefully they are. And it seems to be kind of that idea is growing anyway. So anyway, I'm sure you can hear my squeaky chair. I'm sorry about that. But my point being is that the answer is not in because what we're doing here is by forgiving these loans we're actually supplementing higher education to keep mismanaging money on their end by the way the answer is not in athletics and maybe that is my bias coming out but athletics money basically stays like they make their money and it stays in athletics they don't they don't get supplemented by government bailouts they don't get supplemented by tuition or anything like that generally speaking from what i understand these programs are self-sustaining because of the money they make through athletics. So that's not even part of the equation. But I don't, like, we are turning our turning the other way when it comes to funding these higher education programs because they're not learning their lesson either. Clearly, they've mismanaged money if it's increased, tuition has increased three times the rate of inflation. Maybe they're spending too much money in all the wrong places. I don't know. But I am definitely, obviously, vehemently against this loan forgiveness because it does not teach any of the right lessons all it says is hey we made a mistake but uh let's just throw even more money at it so i don't get it i don't get it but here we are so that's the big news of the week in my mind that's my little rant that i'm going on anyway from there i don't really have much more to add i hope you all are probably trying to stay positive trying to stay happy in the midst of all this inflation and whatever else and China's economy is apparently going down the tank. Their real estate is like completely plummeting. Look that up. That's a little bit scary. With that said, I've already seen that this doesn't necessarily have worldwide ramifications. And if anything, a collapsing Chinese economy could be actually okay in the long run because it would change the way we're dependent. And we we shouldn't have been as dependent on China as we were. So I don't know. I guess in a roundabout way, that could be a good thing. Look it up if you're interested more in that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the news segment. With that, we will go ahead and kick it over to me and my two buddies, Chase Bartholomew and Austin Story. We're going to be doing a recap on the blue and white scrimmage that we went to, and we'll give you our thoughts on that. Hope you all enjoy it. If you are into football at all, I think you'll find it interesting. If you're into BYU football, you will especially appreciate it, I believe. Anyway, let me know your thoughts. Love you all. We'll catch you all on the other side.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so Cougar preview, season preview. I I don't I don't really have that locked and loaded, but I got my two guys here with me, my two Cougar lovers and also fans of BYU football, Mr. Austin Story and Mr. Chase Bartholomew. Welcome back to both of you, Chase. It's been a minute. You were the probably you still have the record for most appearances on the podcast. Austin Story, loved having you back, my friend. We, I think the last time all three of us got together was a preview of BYU basketball, and my prediction of Caleb Lohner could not have been more off, if you guys remember right. <laughs> I think I might have even hyped him even bigger than you just said. <laughs> I don't know about that. Man. <laughs> we'll, we'll just delete that episode. <laughs> Seriously, dude. I was thinking might about well. that. No joke, the whole second half of the basketball season, I was like, well, that episode is pointless. I legit was like calling my shot. I was like, Caleb Lohner is going to be amazing. <laughs> He's gonna be like it's gonna be his breakthrough year. The guy's gonna be incredible. He's just gonna make his mark. And then, not only did he have a terrible year, quite frankly, for his for his potential, he ends up transferring to Baylor, which I guess good for him. But then, Cringy takes a pose with the trophy. Whatever. I think we addressed that on the podcast yeah. at one point. I might have referred to him as the White LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really, did you? I, I, that, I might have. Okay, I you're right. You did overhype him maybe a little bit more than that. <laughs> anyway. To my defense, I said that he needed to shoot the three consistently to be successful. So I was right about that, but I was still... We were all on the hype train. We were all very excited. We were, man. Was, the whole season was kind of a letdown as a whole. But hopefully, BYU football season is not a letdown because there... I mean... I get excited pretty much every year for BYU football. I am feeling it especially now. This last week, I really have felt the bug. I'll tell you this. I'm just coming off the high of going to see my nephew's uh, freshman football game. He plays for Wasatch High School. Jimmy Anderson, shout out to that boy. He caught a nice 22-yard pass today, like just killing it. Um, I like It was so nostalgic to be there. The weather was awesome. Just the views of the mountains, just like the crisp Utah mountain air. With these kids playing high school ball, you see a bunch of kids on the sidelines that have zero identity. I like I missed high school so bad. Like still finding themselves. There's this long blonde haired kid in sunglasses where I was like, that kid's got a lot of life to figure out still. But so happy to witness all this. It was just a blast and I cannot freaking wait for BYU football to start. And we are just days away at this point. So first thing I want to talk about, the big news that we're still kind of like processing, I feel like is not only does BYU get snubbed in the coaches' poll, they get ranked 25th in the AP. And I think the hype all year was that legitimately BYU could have been a preseason top 20. Like, that was that was very legitimate. So let's talk about that. Why do we think that happened? What do we think there should be? And what does this all mean? Well, I think BYU, unfortunately, being an independent, is still kind of one of those teams that's kind of viewed as you have to reprove yourself every year kind of team. Like if BYU was in a power five conference and had the season they had last year, they would almost certainly be, you know, 15 to 20 or in that, in that ballpark. But I do think just being a G five or a non power five, whatever you want to call BYU. I think they just are in that category where 
you got to show me what you're worth every single season. Otherwise, you're not going to get respect. And if you look at it this way, like this is the first time since 2009 since we're preseason ranked. So it still is, on BYU terms, pretty good hype to get anything at all. That's probably fair. What do you think, Austin? Yeah, I I think it it is nice to break that curse. But when you look at a team that finished 19th last year in the AP poll, and that was coming off a loss against UAB when we were playing third and fourth strings. Jaron Hall didn't start. And so that really should have been... Didn't even play. Didn't didn't play, exactly. So that, that should have been a top 15 team last year. We brought back everybody but Tyler Algier. Literally everybody, and everybody's healthy. So it was a slap in the face, for sure. So that's ultimately how I feel. And here's the thing. There is that narrative of us being the group of five, and if we were in a power five, we'd get more respect and thus more preseason votes. I actually think that plays less of a role than the loss to UAB. I actually think the loss to UAB really was kind of like, they're like, okay, so they're returning a bunch of starters, but what good is that? They lost to freaking UAB. And I think there might be some truth to that, but we shouldn't have lost. And if you look deeper into it, it's obviously, it's very clear, like Jaron Hall, like you said, Austin, Jaron Hall wasn't even playing. We had tons of injuries. We really literally were playing with some third stringers, maybe even fourth stringers. But even more than that, we came out so flat. We did not want to be in that bowl game. It was a huge letdown. It's still really bad. I think and that that honestly is a knock on Kalani coaching-wise. He should have gotten the guys more up. Now, that's not – I wouldn't say that's a broad uh, explanation or it's not broadly representative of who Kalani is as a coach But because I, I would have even imagine he was let down by it. You know, He was a little bummed out that that was there. They got relegated to that. So it's hard – if you're feeling down, it's hard to get everybody else up too. We, we all understand that. But still, his his fault more than anyone else's. I think the UAB loss was so catastrophic, and I think it's felt like bleeding over into this preseason ranking. And I think more so than the group of five stuff because if, if we had won that game and the narrative then was not only did we only have – what would it have been? Two losses last year? Two losses yeah. to good teams, by the way. Yeah. Um, and then we're returning pretty much all of our starters on both sides of the football. We're in the top 20 for sure. I don't think there's any question. And I think that's why the P5, G5 argument is takes kind of a backseat to that. Can I share a conspiracy theory here? Please. So I think another big reason that we're not ranked high is it's all about allies. So we're talking about BYU being an independent. Mm-hmm. So we... Right now, our five biggest wins last year were against the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 was trying to make themselves look stronger, so their media people don't want to vote for BYU because BYU is the big team in the West that wants to, because of BYU, we're going to gobble up part of the Pac-12, right? Well, I will and say then, John Wilner put us higher than you would have 15, thought. That, that yeah, John Wilner put us high. But, so, then, yeah. but those, no, 20, those biggest 20, games right? were all yeah. against the West Coast, yeah. whereas then... Our one game against the Big 12, our time to show the Big 12, hey, we're going to be great. We were very injured. Our worst game of the year, we got dominated against Baylor. So Absolutely dominated. So I'm saying when, when you talk about allies, if you only beat up on one conference and that conference already doesn't like you, and then our chance to show everybody else out east, the times we played teams out east, we didn't play well. And so that's that will... You think there's an East Coast bias against us? What's well, yeah. funny, though, the SEC, I feel like the SEC kind of likes us. Mississippi State had that, like, one of their beat writers gave us the highest at 13, I want to oh, say. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I actually was fascinated by that. I love that that I love that they released that. Who yeah. who put this where? Oh yeah, they need to as part of the AP. Absolutely. Do, do they not to. release so, that with the coaches poll? Because that's bull crap if they don't. They, <laughs> don't they need to release yeah. that. The coaches poll is probably so fraudulent. Which honestly, see, and we're gonna yeah. get to the Sports yeah. Nation stat of the day that was shared a little bit ago, like a few days, like last week at some point. Um, but Jerem Jordan does nail it with this one because uh, I'm about to call out the Sports Nation guys a little bit, but Jerem Jordan does nail it that it's basically the, the SID poll, which stands for Sports Information Director, which is essentially the PR guy that goes in between. It's a liaison between like the coaching staff and the media. And so it acts as kind of a, an assistant in some ways to the coach, mm-hmm. the head coach. And so a lot of these head coaches will just say, just fill it out. I don't really care. Like use your best judgment. Oh, yeah. Some of them may fill it out together. I would, I would bet very rarely do coaches just singularly vote and just say this is what i truly think and i want to sit down and actually map it out i think they're just saying i don't really have time for this i don't really want to take time for this what do you guys think coaches openly talk about that they always relegate it to assistants or pr guys or analysts because they don't have time to do that right so that's a fact yeah and here's why i'm okay with all this anyway is I kind of want BYU to have a chip on their shoulder for this early season gauntlet anyway. I kind of agree with that. Going into Baylor and Oregon, I mean, this first three-game stretch is going to define our season. You go... 0-3, 0-3, the season's over. <laughs> Dude, you, we lose, we, if we lose to freaking uh, South, South Florida, yeah, season's, season's over. over. Yeah, season's over. Season's over after game one. <laughs> but if, if you go 2-1, and one, that's fantastic. But if you go 3-0, and oh, watch out. For the hype train that's going to hit BYU because it'll be crazy. Oh, we dude, what what do we go launched into at that point? I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but yeah. I also can't help ourselves. Number ten. That's oh, number 10 I mean, we're top 11. fifteen. Here's yeah. the thing: Chase always goes super high when it comes. Whenever I ask, whenever yeah. I ask, like, what do you think will be if we do this? Mm-hmm. And Chase is always like, dude, there's no question. We'll be like twelfth or thirteenth. And I'm like, dude, that sounds crazy. And here's the thing: if I'm if my memory serves correctly, Chase is more right than wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which I hate to admit, <laughs> but I swear there's been like a couple times where Chase has like been adamant. Like, no, 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 we'll definitely be that high. The one that I remember the most, because I swear this has happened at least yeah. one or two other times, but the one I remember the most was before we beat Oklahoma in 2009. We were talking about it. BYU was ranked 20th. They were preseason yeah. 20th. They were playing Oklahoma. That was number three. Yeah. And you're like, we'll have to be in the top 10 because we're like entertaining that. Like, like, like I said, we can't ha- help ourselves. And we're entertaining that, and you're like, well, we'd have to be top 10. Because there's no way Oklahoma drops that far if we beat them, and we have to be ranked higher than Oklahoma. Like, to you, it was, like, that logical, and I was like, not necessarily. I was like, I've played NCAA football enough times to know that that's not always (laughs) true. (laughs) But that's exactly what happened. We got ranked ninth after that, and Oklahoma was, like, 11th or something like that. Yeah, if you beat number 10 and number 11 back-to-back weeks... We should jump up. Well, especially at Oregon, which would be crazy. The problem is Oregon opens up against Georgia, so they would have to win that game because they will probably... And they won't. They won't won't look good. (laughs) But if they can stay competitive, they'll keep a top 15. They'll stay ranked. And then the problem is Notre Dame opens up at freaking Columbus, Ohio against Ohio State. So So we've got a lot of teams that are like, well, we can't. We have to win the winnable games. Like, there's just no question. Yeah. And that's what makes teams... That that's that's what is the difference between great to elite, is when you're clearly winning the winnable games, and then you can really compete in the ones that are like questionable. Okay, so I want to talk about this for a little bit because Chase, you mentioned kind of the chip on your shoulder mm-hmm. and what that all is. So there was an interesting stat shared on uh, BYU Sports Nation that I want to share with you guys. It's about two minutes long. I may shorten it in on the back end when I edit this in, but we're gonna listen to the whole clip and I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. 
sample size of being pre-ranked that's one yeah. aspect because yeah. we've been pre-season ranked like what like seven or eight times of that like so there's that yeah. what Maybe else sometimes. all right so i'll just i'll let you know those seasons to me demonstrate a few things 83 and 84 was a completely different era of college football completely we are not living in that same time right we already know that if you're not if you're not ranked relatively high or just outside the top 25 like you're just not you you could run the table and you still like really won't make a splash like you won't make the playoff you won't make like if BYU for example was like I know they don't do these rankings but if they were like in the 40s there there's no unless their schedule was through the roof there's no scenario in which they make a new year six generally speaking right we don't live in that era it's just too hard to penetrate Mm -hmm. 83 84 was very different I'm not sure why but it was a different era 96 might be the lone exception to my argument that I'm making. And then 2020 was the COVID year. So I think you can basically throw that stat out the door. I, I don't like it. And I hate how much weight they're putting into it by saying, oh, that pre-rankings don't really matter. I think they absolutely do. And I hate that stat. That's what Those are my thoughts. Yeah. If I could say one thing, I think 83, you have a quarterback named Steve Young. 84, you have a quarterback named Robbie Bosco. 96, you have a quarterback named Steve Sarkeesian. 2020, you have a quarterback named Zach Wilson. So you think that's more of the common thread there than anything else? 100%. And those are all teams that stayed relatively healthy throughout the year. We could be talking about 2001 being up there with those, or 2006, um, 2015. I mean, you might have a point. All those years, they didn't stay healthy. Robbie Bosco floundered in the NFL. He didn't do anything, but he did make it to the NFL. Um, Zach Wilson, jury's still out. Sarkeesian uh, didn't even make it to the NFL. I think he played in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, for a bit. But obviously, he's a very good football mind. He's proved himself in that regard, no question. Um, the other one is Jim McMahon, who I would bet you we had a very high... Like, I don't know where we fell, uh, like where we ended up ranked the seasons he was there. But it had to have been pretty high pretty much every time he was there. But we must have been ranked, I guess. Near, Very high, Near yeah. the bottom. Just, just preseason. I meant preseason, though, which is oh, why he's not categorized with those other four. Um, but anyway, so... Because uh, Jim McMahon, I actually think, is quite frankly probably top to bottom, meaning how he was in college versus how he was in the NFL. He might be the best quarterback to, to go through BYU. 
Um, but his potential was kind of squandered because of how many like concussions he got and everything. I know Steve Young fights that, and I can see the look in your eye, Austin. I know you don't love that. No, but I, regardless, I, they're neck and neck. That's my point. Well, Jim McMahon came into the league kind of like Zach Wilson with a bad offensive line. The, he went on to a Bears team whose defense became stacked. Right. But they built and drafted for defense and not for the offense. And he just got the job done, won yeah. a Super Bowl that way. Absolutely. And I, I still think, I mean, if Zach was on the Patriots, I think he would be at least healthy doing pretty decent right now. And so the jury's still out on Zach. We don't know, but... The talent they did draft there. a big tackle for him, so hopefully that can change a little bit. But yeah, absolutely, it'll be interesting. So that that may be more of a common thread. I don't know. I think I think there are more exceptions than not. That COVID year, I'm ready to just throw out completely, <laughs> honestly. Like the Big Ten, like teams, most teams barely made it to six games in the Big Ten. Yeah. I, well, and you just had. The teams the following year just didn't follow the same trend that they BYU is kind of an exception of a team that was good in 2020 and also good in 2020. Liberty kind of is too. Yeah, because Liberty did have a good year last year, but that was a lot because of their quarterback who uh, went dra- drafted in the first round. But then you look year, at or this ba- year. I think Baylor in the COVID year was like one and six, and then they went and won the Big Twelve the next year. No way. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. It. Yeah, new yeah. coach, yeah. Grimes. They really started building a new team. Absolutely. I could be wrong on that, so don't No, but the, that 2020 yeah. BYU team was stacked. They were young, but, I mean, top to bottom, those guys are still in the on the team this year, and that's why this year this team could be Is 2022 special. better than 2020? I, th- I think they are. Oh, overall. Oh, yeah, talent-wise, there's yeah. no well, question. They're so much deeper, right? What do you think they should be? It's the same team. 25 on the AP. Well, here's the thing. It's the same team, just 13? more seasoned. 13. Yeah, like, I'd, I'd put BYU at 13 or 12 right now. Oh. Wow. I'd, be, I'd, feel, I'd feel comfortable with that ranking. At the end of the season? No, like right now. Like they should, oh, gotcha. like if, I, if I was objectively putting together a preseason poll in the best of my ability, I would be BYU low teens for sure. Right. The highest production coming back. I yeah. would have said... I would have said 15 to 18. I wouldn't have been mad. But if some, if we were 13, I would honestly say we we deserve it. I mean, yeah. if, if Oregon's at 11, we definitely deserve it, right? Oregon should be about 20. Four yeah. losses last year. Got smoked multiple times by a yeah, team ridiculous. We, yeah. we handled. Right? We're going to be there, the by the way. We're going to straight up be in Eugene watching that game live. Us three with a couple of our other buddies. Cannot wait. And yes, I'm going to buy the Airbnb. <laughs> Just give me give me a second to move into my house. Um, okay, so on that note, all right, let's talk about this. Another common thread that I think is one of the single biggest variables that is indicative of a very successful BYU season. And I bet you could actually pinpoint those same seasons they mentioned is BYU's offensive line. And that's what I think might be the biggest reason to be hyped about this year is that our cuz our offensive line was great last year. We haven't we didn't lose a single starter from offensive line from our offensive line last MP, year. Right? Oh wait, sorry, Empy. We did MP, lose Empy. Yeah. Who's in the NFL? Yeah, who um, started the first half, and he didn't even have the most starts. Exactly. Connor P came in and played just as well. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting, and that's going to be amazing for Jaron Hall because whenever our quarterbacks have time, just plays develop. Roderick needs that. I'm I'm amped for Roderick. I think Roderick's actually an amazing mind. I think Utah squandered that whole situation, but that's no surprise. We'll get to Utah in a little bit, by the way. Um, let's talk about the practice. Let's talk about the blue and white scrimmage that we saw live, thanks to Austin here, who hooked us up with some yeah. tickets. I thought the offensive line looked great. This, the white team completely smoked the blue team. I don't think we have really concern for that because that's basically just the ones versus the twos. I think that was just offense was white and blue was – so it was kind of ridiculous to even put the score on the board because the defense obviously isn't going to score. 
Was it? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was just. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. I thought. Yeah. I thought. Well, yeah, because they just always had the white versus blue. So then, when the offense is going, they know who they're throwing to. Wow, I'm an so. idiot. So wait, <laughs> the Blues never had an offense. Yeah. So the scoreboard was pointless. Yeah. yeah. It was so just stupid. Track I can't believe I didn't even catch that. Yeah. But then it was still indicative. They tried to, you know, they ran a hundred plays. So it's like, okay, let's see if the defense can hold them under 24 points, or let's see how many yeah. points together as an offense we can score. Which they didn't do. So it makes it makes sense. Yeah. Well, speaking of the offensive line, after the scrimmage, we walked by the Barrington brothers. Those guys are giants, dude. That's like, who we walked like, by. Yeah, yeah, dude. So you're yeah. a big guy. Yeah. You're you're I'm you're, six, you're six, a solid six three. Maybe I, I would probably list myself a six four on a roster. Single if, if, um, and doctor. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot. There's but, a lot no, here. I'm, I'm about two oh five. Tons and, of ladies listening to and, this for sure. And walking by those guys, I felt like a child. Dude, like, you looked like a child. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> and I looked like even more of a child. Yeah. And the Barrington brothers are kind of average in the pack. They're not near the biggest guys on the line. Like, that's the they are tall. Part. They're like they're six, tall. six, six, seven. But I cannot believe like how big they were. Like, <laughs> it is, it is astounding. I feel like I like had to like crank my neck. Which we then up, decided <laughs> it should be a life rule that the moment you have to stop asking for autographs and pictures of athletes or when they're uh, when. You can't do it if you're bigger than them. But if they're bigger than you, you can still do it. <laughs> oh, um, Which makes me think, if we had the offensive line that we've had the last three years during the Taysom and the Jamal years or you know, some of the years past during Independence. Oh, yeah. It makes yeah. you wonder, you know, because next oh, year... Oh, Taysom would have done unreal things he, with, uh, he with a, a better offensive line. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have stayed healthy. Maybe. We'll see. But we'll, we won't see, but we, who knows. Um... Okay, so was there anything, any other takeaways? I mean, there was that, I, th- I would say the big takeaway was that the offense did look pretty sharp for the most part. There was that defensive lineman, number 98. Summers. Guys, yeah. Summers yeah. Yeah. That, where did that dude come from? Because he was making waves too. He was in on those ones, because he's, he he's on the twos on the defensive line, and he was freaking making waves on the, our offensive line. Which, for a D-tackle, he moved fast. He I was guess. quick, man. And he's a big boy. I would. I mean, I didn't actually check the roster, but he's got. I got to peg that dude at like 280, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we better. 300. We, a lot of D-tackles aren't 300. A lot of them are just under. Yeah. No, he, he's maybe a little shorter. That guy's wide. I think he's 300, 305, but that's a guess. Yeah. Did you say he's white or wide? Wide. He's uh, a wide. That guy's white. He's a thick boy. He's a heavy boy. Sorry, we, we can't talk about 22 or thick boys on this channel without <laughs> getting people mad, so I'm sorry. Thick. So I said wide. and I'm going to look up the stats right now. What were you going to say, Chase? Oh, I was just going to say we better get a pass rush this year. Cause I, so BYU, I saw some – I can't remember who, what source it was, but someone ranked BYU's offensive line number nine in the country. But on that list, there were three teams on BYU's schedule ranked ahead of us. I think Arkansas, Notre Dame – and Baylor. maybe Baylor's offensive lines were all ranked ahead. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. So it's like, yeah. man, our, our defensive line was already crap last year. If they can't get their act together and put some pressure on the quarterbacks, uh, I, we're going to have a long season. Well, Baylor last year, that's why it felt like such a blowout. We didn't – I don't think – one person, even a linebacker that was blitzing, got past the line of scrimmage. Those guys, man, oh, they, they man, pushed us around like oh, Baylor did know, for sure. I know Batty didn't play. I know we were missing a ton of. Starters. Well, that's why the bend don't break thing really bothers me sometimes, and that's what I miss about Bronco. Mm-hmm. Bronco was great at like disguising blitzes and just like getting guys in there when we needed it the most. It seemed like Bronco. No, I mean, 
Sorry, I don't mean to like beat this dead horse, but Bronco legitimately was one of the best defensive minds while he was coaching. I think in the nation, no joke. I, that's that, those were my thoughts. Oh, until he played BYU. Are excited about <laughs> being an analyst because he was a defensive coordinator for Snow. Yeah. And he's been helping them out a lot. Apparently, he's actually given them a few blitz packages that they've been oh, good. sprinkling in. Well, so he's a, and he's a Bronco guy. Like he learned a lot of what he learned yeah. under Bronco. I'm sure. Now you say Bronco, except in the BYU game last year. Guess who was actually the defensive coordinator though, calling the shots? Sure, but Bronco's still Nick overse- Owl. Bronco's overseeing that though. So I mean, <laughs> dude, no, he, no, he for... doesn't though. Remember, because when he has a D coordinator, I think he kind of lets them do their thing, which he did with freaking Jaime Hill who he ended up firing in the middle of the season, rightfully so, and takes yeah. over, and autom- our defense gets um, way better right away. And then the same thing with Nick Howell, who he never, for whatever reason, couldn't fire. That is a weird relationship, by the way. Couldn't fire Nick <laughs> Howell, but keeps him around, but takes over the defense. Yeah. I'll and like- it gets better. So, like, he, he definitely is a hands-off guy. When Maybe, he, yeah, but I, you're still, as a head coach, you're still overseeing the defense. And if you have a real yeah, problem... I think you're... I think you're whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's a moot point. Agreed, my, it is a moot point. I agree. My major takeaways from the scrimmage were also Chase, Han- or Chase Roberts here from here in America. But yeah, Florida. he did look good at receiver. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of might be one of the future guys at wide receiver core. And the question is, Gunnar Romney and Pukas have yet to be healthy for a full season. So, if they go down... Who's going to be that third, fourth guy? And I think Hill and Roberts are capable. Yeah, sure. Keanu Hill could be really yeah. good. And then there's also, we're missing one. Uh, Cody Epps. Cody Epps, that's Cody it. Epps Cody Epps could, could be yeah. a shining star. There's some depth. There's some depth. There's some very real depth. Okay, so I, I agree. The I looked up Gabe Summer's stats. 6'2", 295. Mm, 295. He is a big boy. And for boy. how big he is, he moves extremely well. Extremely well. Utah product kind of looks... Like he could be half Polynesian, not sure. I was gonna say he didn't. He didn't look super white on the field, but yeah, yeah, he didn't look that white, Austin. <laughs> Going back to the bend don't break system, what I I'm also hopeful because last year we did have pressure on the quarterback the first three games when we had our linebackers that were healthy, and I think. Yeah. Right now, to me, it felt like when Peely went down, that's when the defense fell apart. And I, I mean, he might have been the best linebacker. Arguing him and Wilgar were kind of the two best linebackers on the team. And I felt like when Peely got injured early in the season, there was a stark difference in the before and after timeline Huge. of that. So yeah. even as our strength of schedule went down, the defense still went down. Yeah. But I think Wilgar had to move to middle linebacker, not his position. So now they yeah. they have Tommy Vasa at middle linebacker. So if he goes down, they're going to keep their guys in their spots. Bywater will come off the bench, and he's a insane for being a freshman All American coming off the bench. Like the, this team's pretty stacked, and the back ends also they can cover better than yeah. we've seen for a while. We'll this, see if they can stay healthy while facing three of the top offensive lines in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of <laughs> speaking of the defense. I have a little insider info. It's not necessarily insider info, but it's insider perspective. There's no way I'm sharing the name. But it was Direct who told me they don't really have a whole lot of faith on our strong safeties, which is crazy that this person said that, by the way. And makes me think. And his, his whole thing, and I actually mentioned it to you guys uh, at the scrimmage, um, if he doesn't have any faith in them, then... It could be bad, and it's mainly the physicality aspect of it because they don't really wrap up. They don't tackle well. Now, hopefully that's not really an issue because whenever your safeties, your DBs get the most tackles, it's a bad sign. It means your defense is getting just freaking torched. But Right. Well, right now you have George Udo, who's supposed to be strong safety, and he's been injured. He's been out. 
doesn't trust his knee yet. And then you have Chaz Ayu, and we don't know where he's at. He's probably going to redshirt and might try to play linebacker next year. And so you're looking at Ammon Hanneman playing strong safety, and then Malik Moore, who's always struggled with tackling. He can cover great, but he's not. Yeah, I think he had some nice tackling. picks last year. Incredible yeah. cover, yeah. but he's a free safety. But yeah, our line, our safeties are not yeah. great tacklers. And so your insider definitely knows what he's talking about because we've seen it firsthand. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we don't take too big of a hit there. But any other thoughts on the scrimmage? I mean, it's just hard to really gauge it when they were kind of holding back on the contact. Like, at least as far as, like, the running game, we didn't really get to see what Chris Brooks was all about because it's hard to tell what kind of run he's doing. I'll tell you what, though. He looks like a physical specimen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You made Harvey Young the comparisons, which I think is ridiculous. Go watch watch his Cal highlights. He looks looks a little bit like Harvey. He's he's a little faster. Harvey had a little more hezzy and a little just bigger, so Harvey would fall forward. But, man, they... Well, he, I, I do agree with the style, though. It's just they are. I would. I would. Though. I would. Now, based on what I saw, now I need to see a lot more because I haven't really checked. I mean, I did watch some of his highlights, but I can't really remember a ton. I would be more inclined to say a slower Jamal Williams than I would a, a Harvey oh, Young. I, I wouldn't say even slower. Really, you think he's just as fast? Yeah, absolutely. Dude, Jamal got so, Jamal got bigger and faster. And faster. That was yeah. crazy to see that. Um, the running back that was on the Ravens last year, he kind of reminds me of him. When we beat Tennessee, he only played for Tyson, half the year. Tyson, Tyson Williams. Yeah. I would say oh, yeah. Tyson, but he's a little bigger than Tyson, but that same burst. Is he bigger than Tyson? Yeah, he Tyson is. Tyson was big, man. I mean, he's a, he's Brooks, a big is, Brooks is freaking big, man. He's yeah. a big so boy. This is, I'm pulling up his. Sorry, he's, he's 6'1, 235. That's Ooh, big. He's, he's that, a big boy. That is Harvey's yeah. size. That's Harvey's size. Is that exactly. really Harvey's size? Harvey was 6'1. About Why did Harvey look so much bigger? Through. Was it just because his face? His, his pads, too. <laughs> his, his, his jawbones? He's a big boy, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up Harvey now, too, just so we can have, this. have Well, Jamal is right there, too, though. Jamal's like 6'2". Uh, yeah, but Jamal only was at 220, 225. Like this, I think 225 sounds right to me. Pretty thick, man. If it's muscle, too, especially, that's a big uh, difference in weight. Uh, so, right. his, staff, his staff bio doesn't have his weight. Blake Freeland <laughs> openly has said, Good luck tackling Chris Brooks. So obviously he's going to hype his guy up, but he didn't point out any of the other running backs. Oh, Chase can't wait to he, share this information. He's six foot two thirty seven. So they're like clones of each other, basically. Yeah. Okay, so size, that makes sense why our Unga looks bigger though, because he's shorter. shorter. Yeah, he's a little. He just looks more stout, and that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah, I would still venture to say Brooks is faster though. Not well, that Unga was slow by any means. He yeah, was very quick faster. for his size. Oh, but yeah. he's faster, right? Well, and that's goal. why that's why I still have an issue with the comparison. But we'll see. Time will tell. Because yeah. you really can't tell until he's out yeah. on the field. I'll, I'll accept your apology text. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you in person. Yeah. And you're going to look at me and be like, yeah, you're right. Harper doesn't need a housewarming gift. You, he needs to give you a gift. <laughs> right. Dude, that's freaking right. Last takeaway for me, at least from the scrimmage, I thought Jacob Conover proved that at least he's improved from last year and he's capable of maybe winning a few games as the backup quarterback personally what do you think i just hope we don't have to use him but you know hopefully we uh, get to a point in some of these games where they give him some garbage time get to get to see some jacob conover action before we're relying on him to carry us into the big 12 next year oh it'd be fantastic yeah. if it was like 35 7 at halftime against yeah. ucf uh-huh. bring him in mid third quarter yeah, and I don't think that's happening. We never look 
besides Navy in yeah. 2001. We, we never come out the gate strong in week All right, one. Right, I see UCF, I meant USF. And oh, yeah. we never played well in Florida, so I think that's a huge trap game. I, I, I think we win, but I, I think it's going to be ugly. I'm, yeah, I'm we don't play well in Florida. You're right. I'm no. secretly super nervous about that game. Should, I we, guess, yeah. should we get together and watch the game and, and drink pickle juice just to honor our boys? Absolutely. Do, do we still do that at BYU? We're pickle, pickle <laughs> I don't juice know, guy? Man. I know that was like they always brought that up on ESPN. Yeah, like back in like the... so cool. Pickle juice helps with cramps. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Allison Williams, or whatever her name. You could just drink Gatorade, but we'll drink this disgusting pickle juice instead. We are in Florida, so yeah. Gatorade was made here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. What's the advantage of like pickle juice? You over should know, Gatorade? doctor. Well, I mean, I don't. How have you not prescribed that to your patients? Uh, don't teach yet. us about pickle juice in <laughs> medical school. I'm not sure what medical school you went to. If they're not talking about pickle juice, from what I understand, yeah. pickle juice is incredible when it comes to helping cramps. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, it must just be the minerals. There must just be like a ton of minerals in pickle juice because that's yeah. what that's what helps cramps. It helps you stay hydrated, right? Like that's what it's electrolytes. Yeah, I mean that must be all it it's is. It's more salty, and it's so just it's more just streamlined to your yeah. system. I yeah, guess. It's just what when you sweat, you sweat out like potassium and. and There's got to be more efficient ways these days. They've got electrolyte capsules that yeah. I mean they gave us that yeah. on my on my triathlon, mm-hmm. and those apparently are like big big deal supposedly. But anyway, um, as we wrap it up, I can't help myself. But I, I want to talk about our boys in the north, the team up north. Casey Sato, shout out. Shout out to Case. Love, do we really you, love think you, Case. Do we really think Casey's going to listen to a BYU preview? It's not impossible. We applaud him. Yeah, for real. But I don't, I'm not going to tell him anything. So if he's going to listen, <laughs> you better reach out to me, Case, because I'm not going to tell you about this little shout out. Freaking screw your team, dude. All right, screw <laughs> your freaking team, dude. That was not where I expected that this I hate go. the Utes. So much, <laughs> but I love you, Case. Don't worry, I do love you, man. Um, and <laughs> so here's here's the, here's my theory. This is what I actually want to talk about. Okay, I hate the fact that we're not playing this year, and I can't help but think deep down, most Ute fans, even the ones that love the rivalry and really think BYU's nothing this year and that they'd kill us, still most of them are really glad they're not playing us. Because part of my theory extends to this. I think Cam Rising had a good year last year, mainly because people just didn't really know how to prep for him. And I don't think he's that great. I think he's a better version of Riley Nelson. Wow, I think he's wow. I'll I'll let you go first on this one. I I mean I don't really have an opinion about Cam Rising. I I I just think it's ridiculous when they when they pull up the whole oh we would have beat you if we had Cam Rising. It's like. Charlie Brewer won the job over Cam Rising. That's all part of it, And right? you guys chose to play. It wasn't that Cam Rising was injured. He was on the sidelines, perfectly capable of playing. And if your dumb coaches weren't capable of recognizing him over Charlie Brewer, that's your own well, fault. Well, we could play that game forever. Yeah. I mean, we lost by one possession for most of the decade. Now, we lost for an entire freaking decade, which still kills me. Yeah. But the fact that we lost all but one of those years by one possession... And you're going to tell me that that coaching decisions don't go into that? That plays a big role, and you could just easily say, BYU made worse coaching decisions. That's why we lost yeah. any one of those games. If our coach would have thrown the ball on second and 12, we would have won. It's like, well, yeah, yeah exactly. but they didn't. So yeah, we could play this game yeah, forever. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but those nine losses in a row, I think we could go back and say, man, if this and that happened on the, that two-point loss, I think we could go both ways. So. Right. What do you have, though? What thoughts did you have on the cam- my Cam Rising man, stuff? Well, it's not like I watched all the Utah games, but my roommate um, last year was 
a big Utah fan, so I feel like I'm well versed. I think he's actually much better than Riley Nelson, if we're being honest. Oh no, no, right. I said he's a better version. Oh. I'm just saying there's a version. They're like cut from the same cloth. I'm not saying Cam Rising yeah. is. Yeah. Riley Nelson could barely palm the freaking ball. Cam Rising obviously doesn't have an just issue. Just kind of wins with his grittiness. As yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. Is that like yeah. his talent level, although good? I don't think it's as great as as the sycophants think. And I say that specifically because Riley Nelson also had a sycophants. And I'm like, listen, I understand why you like him because he puts the team in a different frame of mind and that can be a good thing, especially being the anti-Jake Heaps who just was like about as exciting as a box of hair. Like just didn't work for anybody. Cam Rising, he gives that same element. Like he gives this push. I don't think that carries over to an additional year I don't think that's what gets them over the hump anymore, and especially since they have a target on their back now. I, I think their schedule, no offense, is so easy. I think USC is going to come and beat them. US, I think USC is going to yeah, beat them here US, in Salt Lake. USC and Oregon are the two big question marks. I mean, yeah, Oregon's going to want revenge. Yeah. I think USC too. is going to be so good this year. You think Lincoln Riley's just going to absolutely? Make, he's going to have a playoff splash into the dude with how the with how the transfer rules work now. That dude basically made his own team. Yeah, I mean, you got you could argue that the team he has now is better than the team he had in Oklahoma. And you know he yeah. got the freaking Bolitnikov winner out of Pittsburgh. That is unprecedented. Do you like? Do you understand that? That's all NIL stuff, right? So the Bolitnikov being the best wide receiver in the country wins this award. He's at Pittsburgh. He wins this award. That that never happens. When you win the award for your best position player in the nation. You do not transfer because that means things are working out. That means, hey, we're doing something right because I literally achieved what I, – I can't get any better than this besides the Heisman. But, like, let's let's be real. That's basically – when you do that, you're in the right place. Everything's working out. The NIL takes a whole nother spin on that. We're saying, sure, you're the best receiver in the country, but are you also the most highest paid receiver in the country? Oh, good point. I can't really do that in Pittsburgh. Maybe I can do that out in Southern California. There's no question. There's no question you can do that out in Southern California. Lincoln Riley goes there to take the coaching job. Which, honestly, say what you will about the NIL, I cannot get over enough how the athletic director for USC played this so well. He got his guy, Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley did the rest. And I think it's going to work out very well for USC. I think USC could just as easily win the Pac-12 next year. I think they're going to come in, and I think they're going to beat Utah and Salt Lake. Would yeah. have beat them twice though if they did beat them in Salt Lake because now they're not doing it by division. So USC oh is that Utah new this would, year would match up again if Utah was if, if Utah beat like Oregon. beats everybody else so, right which they could do yeah. and I'm not saying they're like they're gonna oh, suck obviously I, I think Utah goes eleven and one they have two losable games USC at home and then at Oregon and that, they'll lose Besides another that, game they they lost to Oregon State last year like they're they're gonna still lose another game somewhere Oregon State really ran the ball well that game. I, I truly think this team is very stacked. I think they have a lot of experience coming back. It's a shame that BYU doesn't play Utah early in the year when they're both healthy because I think that these teams stack up really well. I think Utah's still much deeper than BYU. So when, when injuries happen... Oh, there's no question about that. You're, you've been but, a P5 for that long. You're going to have way better. But I truly think Utah goes 11-1, and one, and when you start the season at rank 7th and you only lose one game, they're going to stay top 10. They're in a really pretty spot. I truly wish we could... I, I like. I think our schedule is really fun to play, but I think BYU would also go eleven and one, ten and two at worst with their schedule. Well, this brings up the question: Do we want the Utes in the Big Twelve with us? Yeah, hundred percent. I don't even have to think twice about that because there's a lot of BYU fans out there that do not. Those guys are idiots. 
And it's just, I think it's weird. I, I just think one of the biggest things about building a brand in college football is being a part of a nationally recognized rivalry game that everyone cares mm-hmm. about. Like, look at Ohio State, Michigan, Bama, Auburn, you know, Ohio State, Michigan. These are all the biggest recognized rivalries in the country. And BYU-Utah, despite always being for, like, chump change in its history, actually has made a name for itself that puts it in the top ten rivalries in the country. You go put that in a P5 conference where Big 12 title game or implications are yeah. on the line, that game gets raised up into that top three or four level of rivalries. And it would be huge for our brand for both teams. 100%. And, and here's the thing. If I'm being completely honest, no, I don't absolutely hate the Utes like I went on that rant earlier. Like, it's one of those things where I love to hate them. Yes, there are some fans of theirs that I absolutely hate, but you know what? There's fans of ours that I hate too. Oh, and I understand why my, my, my boy Casey Sato hates some BYU fans too. I get it. Yeah. I get that. Totally accept it. I will have Casey's back before I'd have 98% of BYU fans. Uh, K- K- <laughs> Casey better be listening to this. On the daily, somebody <laughs> on Twitter or the few times a year I'm on Cougar Board, I always think that they're Ute trolls. And I, the sad part is probably only a third of them are. The rest, really, there are some really weird BYU fans out there. Yeah, absolutely. We have to admit that. Ones. It's definitely yeah, true. There's no question <laughs> no. about that. So, anyway, my point is, I actually love that they're our rival, and I don't... And I, and I know a lot of BYU fans' ire is the fact that they like ditched us for the Pac-12, but at the end of the day, do you blame them? Do you really say, it's us and BYU, or it's neither of us? For that time frame, that would be very stupid. They, whoever's decision that would have been, it would have lost complete, like the whole fan base, all their donors would have lost complete faith in Utah had they said... We're not moving without BYU. Utah didn't just have the happen. clout to be able to do and that. And they also so. didn't have the clout. That's exactly right. It was the Pac-12's call, or Pac-10 I, at the time. I but do know BYU at one time did the same thing. They did, they but, did. But, but that was different back then. But I, I totally agree. I, I haven't met a normal BYU fan or, or people that are athletes of some sort that actually don't want Utah in yeah. the same conference. I have yet to meet one. So whoever keeps saying that there's this fan base is split, I feel like it's 90-10. Yeah. I think most people realize Utah's a great They're brand. just vocal. The 10 are vocal, probably. We're already going to play every year, so why not make it even a bigger game in a conference? Why not even well, and, make and, it bigger than And saying games? you don't want it just makes it look like you're afraid of the competition, like the recruiting competition. Yeah. or like It's like you're afraid of Utah having the same resources. It's like whenever we've both had the same resources, BYU has competed extremely well. Like oh, back, back in like the Bronco days. And like, those, were the, those were some yeah. of the most fun times in the rivalry. I... And here's the thing. Let's say, let, like, let's be real. At the end of the day, most Utah fans, and if not, then at least the level-headed ones would 100% want BYU in the Pac-12 if the if the was the other way around. If the tables were turned and BYU had a chance to join the Pac-12, and Utah, there were oh, plenty of Utah. I know Casey would be all for it. Like that, just using him as the blueprint. Sorry, I know he's getting yeah. a lot of shoutouts, but he's become our <laughs> blueprint resident Utah fan. No, absolutely. I think it it would make the state just a bigger deal it makes everybody a lot of money regardless utah is going to be fine if the big 12 doesn't pick them up they're they're doing too well that they could scrimp and claw with the pac-12 until the acc figures things out so regardless we're probably going to be in the same conference eventually so why not embrace it that's probably true we should hope we are because i think utah being in a p5 is fixed i don't think 
fixed in the sense that it's not it's they're never not going to be in a P5 or whatever the equivalent is if it's P4 or whatever. Since 2004 they've been a rock solid program and this yeah. year I think will be another a top 10 season and they'll always You think they'll end in the top 10? Absolutely. Well with this who who are they going to lose to? Florida's ranked preseason 10th out of 12 teams in the SEC. Besides that, the rest of the Pac-12 schedules pretty weak. Yeah, but if Chase, to Chase's point, if they drop a game they shouldn't, so for example, yeah. un Oregon State like they did last year, they'll, they'll finish, find a way to lose again. Then they're still in the Pac-12 championship game. They, they'll finish in the top You're 25. Probably right. No, th- I wasn't and saying then, they wouldn't do yeah, that. Of yeah. course they'll do that, but top 10 is huge. And yeah. then it will come down to who wins in that Pac-12 championship game, them or USC, unless Oregon figures things out quickly with Bo Nix and USC takes a while to ramp up. We'll probably have Utah, USC. Pac-12 championship that winner will be in the top 10 and that winner probably won't be in the playoff but definitely will be a New Year's 6 but they could yeah. be so back to BYU what, what's a successful season this year what do we got how many wins do we got to get I'll let Harper no I want to I want Austin to go first because I'm actually okay. right now I'm in the middle of looking <laughs> at USC's schedule and here's the thing they've got just as friendly of a schedule yeah well anyone Absolutely. everyone it's, it's called the it's called the Pac-12 <laughs> yeah it's true they do play Notre Dame at the end of the year though yeah that, oh that's that is impressive um, so a successful season for me regular season not counting a bowl game would be ten and two ooh that's a what high I, bar what I expect is nine and three which is good successful would be like wow I'm hyped like last year. Mm-hmm. Surprising, because to go ten and two against four top twenty teams and at Boise and at Boise, and that stupid Florida Bluefield at Liberty, who was pushing top twenty five all last year in the top twenty five times. We get to play Stanford, Charlie. Stanford is our tenth. At Stanford's our tenth hardest game of the year. That's nuts. When you look at spreads, I mean, and Stanford's one of those teams that Stanford's one of those teams that could have come out of nowhere and it'd be they, good again. They they back in the early two like the early. 20 teens they were like a top five team Absolutely. every year like they and they have a that mormon quarterback who's supposed to be Tanner the real deal Tanner so, american fork product right yeah no no he's from arizona but oh my pushing five star great player so yeah. i i would say a, a good year is nine and three and that's expected that'd a great be year would be ten and two yeah i think a I, disappointing I, yeah. year would be eight and four because nine I, and I three means that. you won all the games you were supposed to and one of the you four split, against split, yeah you don't really split because you yeah. would either lose to you. You you have Baylor. Okay, Oregon, so you're saying Notre you're, Dame so and you're, you're counting supposed to at Boise State. That's still a supposed to win game because that's that's a. I, that's I, a I, we, we might be an underdog if that play were played in the first game of the year. We've only won once at Boise State. I mean, yeah. we played there what, five times. We've yeah. lost in overtime. That's actually a great times. point. Yeah, I would yeah. add them to like one of the five. That's like kind of a a game that we are like either a, an underdog or like a, a coin flip. Oh, you're right. Actually. Utah State is the fifth game of the year. I think we win that game, but every year we come away with two major injuries. In right, they'll, 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 I hope Jaron Hall just sits out that game, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, last year we barely won it because Jaron didn't play, yeah. and Tyler Algier had to run the ball for 250 yards because <laughs> Jacob Conover came in and they didn't trust him. So oh my gosh. that was scarier than it was supposed to be. But then Utah State ended up being a top-20 team, and we handled them with some backups So at Utah State. So I felt pretty good about that. I'm just so glad it's back. I like want to yeah. cry, guys. Well, here's here's the thing. Like, it's rare to have a team that's this experienced returning. That's that we know they're good. We know they're like top twenty five good. And then to have a schedule like this, like it's like a solar eclipse, having the all these stars aligning right in the perfect spot. It's like if if there was ever a time where delusional fans Never. like me could say. <laughs> 
we could go to the national title. You, have, you have a one in a hundred, one in two hundred chance well, to make nobody, the playoff. This would be the year. No one's going to disagree yeah. that yeah. they 100%. could. Yeah, they absolutely like. Yeah, I mean, okay, hold on. I guess I'm just depends on what you really want to define here. Will they or can they? And the can just means are they? Is, is it possible? And Which yes, is, it's possible. And that's it's not, not true every year, though. Not, not again, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's not highly possible, possible right? That's different, right? But in terms yeah. of stars aligning, like this is the most possible season, just in terms of like how it could play out. Yeah. Now, would it play out this way? Of course not. Of course not. Now, if we now let can we just can we just entertain it for a second? Yeah, I wish we had a video of everybody's faces. We were like, start, of course no. not. start three and zero, and then we can talk. If you get, oh, if you man. go three and zero, then then we can talk all the craziness we want. Absolutely. All right, yeah. that's fair. Then we'll we'll circle yeah. back once we're three and zero because we know that's gonna happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, how hard would it be? Number ten at home after we go to Florida, and then on eleven at the road on the road. Like teams do that all the time, right? Not yeah. Counting Alabama and Clemson, so I love it. Well, guys, I think that's a good place to end. Love you all. This was actually longer than I would have thought, but hey, it's football season, and I'm so glad it's back. It makes me want to cry. All right, me too. (laughs) No, that's definitely going in. (laughs) Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I hope you all enjoyed. That nice long segment, BYU Football Preview. I know some of you expressed that this is one of your least favorite things that I cover on the podcast. (laughs) Sorry. Um, It is that time of year, so you will be getting a little bit more of those updates, but there are plenty of you that still appreciate those, so uh, I guess that was for you. Now, um, special thanks, obviously, to Austin Story and Chase Bartholomew Bartholomew for coming on and giving their thoughts there and having a nice back and forth. I want to get into the kind of scriptural segment, the spiritual thought segment, so to speak, of the podcast that I've been doing, kind of ending the episode with this on a regular basis. Now, um, today's is brought to you by just kind of something that I looked at the other day, kind of was studying, kind of looking into another topic, actually, real quick, side note. I was looking into happiness, and surprisingly, happiness and being happy is not like happiness is mentioned in the Book of Mormon, but it's more part of the plan. It's more mentioned kind of as a noun. When it comes to being a verb, to be happy, it's not mentioned in the Book of Mormon all that much, which I thought was really interesting. That might be something I'll be looking into a little bit more um, as time goes on. But something that came to mind, so I'm in Mormon right now, the the actual, not just the Book of Mormon, but the actual Book of Mormon within the Book of Mormon. At the very beginning, I'm in Mormon uh, chapter, so just early on in those chapters. This is in chapter two that I'll be contextualizing for us here in a second. Um, but wh- where we're at right now is that it's the it's the end of the times for the Nephites. We are getting into the last days of the Nephites. Obviously, the Nephites don't know that. Now, people like Mormon, Moroni, and kind of the people close to them obviously know that there was a prophecy that they would be destroyed. I can't imagine they thought that that would be them necessarily, or maybe they did. Maybe they were pretty well in touch and I mean, Mormon at one point did say, I don't want to actually lead your armies anymore because you're so far removed from God. 
and then he goes back and he leads them again. But Mormon plays an interesting kind of character, not character, I don't want to make it sound like it's fake or anything, but like he's an f- interesting figure in this in this time. Obviously, he had been kind of anointed as this young prodigy, right? At the age of 10, he's approached by, I believe it was Amos, who says, I perceive that thou art a sober child. Amos was just one of the holders of the records. Oh, sorry, it was Amaron. Amaron said that. Amaron said, I perceive that thou art a sober child. And that's a 10. And then at 16, just a few years later, he becomes a leader of the Nephite army, which, I mean, obviously is fascinating. But this 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 is a kid that grew up with the political dynamics of Nephites and Lamanites and, and really harsh lines being drawn there. So he doesn't really know any other life in this world. Um, and he, and he, he's a Nephite, so he views the Lamanites as the enemy, obviously. But at some point, he says, I, you know, he doesn't say this, but it's very clear that he doesn't really have any, any all, all of his real enemies are those that are enemies of God, and that consists in his own people, right? And he, like he's, like I said, he denounces the Nephites at one point. But anyway, before all that takes place, he's before he denounces the Nephites. That is, he's a general of the Nephite army, and he just sees so much debauchery taking place among his own people, and. He points out that, you know, this is obviously wrong. He doesn't really want to be a part of a people that are completely entrenched in sin, right? That have basically denounced their own God and seek happiness in other ways, which that's when it becomes interesting. Because in Mormon 2.13, this is what he says. He says, but behold, this my joy was vain. Now he's talking about like, it, he was he was hoping that the lamentation in the morning and the suffering that the Nephites were experiencing would come bring them to God. He's like, well, we all experience this for a reason, and it's meant to act as a catalyst for us to come back to the path, right? But then he says, I, that was in vain. That's that's not going to happen. Uh, their sorrowing, sorrowing was not unto repentance. And this is where it gets interesting. Because of the goodness of God. But it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. Now that's absolutely fascinating to me. He, he clearly illustrates that there are two types of sorrow. You can feel sorrow unto repentance because of the goodness of God. That type of sorrow is basically a self-reflection. It's where you're looking at your own life and you're saying, where did I go wrong? You're saying, where, what could I have done better? You're really internalizing a lot of this, but hopefully in a healthy way. You're internalizing and saying, Oh, I, I obviously have gone astray. What can I do to come back, right? That's that's knowing that it's possible to come back. That's acknowledging that there is a God out there that can help you come back and that the atonement is real and that you can repent of all the sins that had led you down that path and you could come back to that same path and, and you can be back in full force thanks to the atonement, right? And having gratitude towards that. Or the other type of sorrow being you can feel sorrow sorrow or sorry because the lord will not suffer you to take happiness in sin now i think that's fascinating i think that what that means essentially is that your tank has been just overflowing in debauchery and whatever you've wanted to indulge yourself in and at some point it will not lead to any more happiness and you will start to be miserable even in the midst of all that sin. I truly believe that, for one, that all these things have their limits. And the sorrow that you feel in those moments isn't because you're like, what has gotten me to this point? What did I do that I could have done better? Your sorrow is, why am I not happy anymore living this life? 
And that's that's an interesting type of sorrow, right? And that's what Mormon points out here. He says, I mean, they, they didn't feel any regret for what they had done. In fact, they love what they do so much that they want to still feel more pleasure and happiness from that. They have zero desire, zero acknowledgement that God is the only true source of happiness here and that their happiness really is just a facade. It's more based on pleasure and more based on gratification and things like that. And it sounds a lot like something that you see, and this is actually what I put out there kind of, I threw this out there on Twitter and I said, you know, I, I see this a lot on Twitter all the time is that people well, and I'm not saying, by the way, let me just put a disclaimer out there. This is not that anybody that suffers from anxiety or depression is all tied to this. But I do see it a lot where people that suffer from anxiety and depression, due to overindulgence in their own debauchery, in their own sin, feel this type of sorrow. They don't have any regret for what got them there in the first place. They don't have any regret. They don't make any connection whatsoever that it was their basically unapologetic approach at getting whatever they needed, whatever they felt like they needed, their immediate gratification had actually led them to the point they're at right now, which is, I'm not happy. And it's funny because you're starting to see a lot of people out there right now that talk about, hey, we have everything we've ever asked for, we've ever wished for, we could ever have even dreamed of, and we have things that we never even would have ever thought would have been amazing to have in this life. But for whatever reason, people are less happy. And why is that? That's because this happiness is so fleeting. This happiness isn't long-lasting. This happiness isn't real. It's not true. The only true form of happiness that I know I've felt is all tied to the gospel. It's all tied to God. It's tied to the atonement. And I think that's what Mormon was pointing out here, is he's saying these people are so far detached from what true happiness is. They have not seen the true delineation, or at least they have, but they've ignored it, between happiness in Christ and pleasure, right? Because we've conflated the idea that being, you know, seeking pleasure, seeking whatever type of gratification from the world is happiness. And it's not. It's simply what it is. It's pleasure. It's gratification from the world. It's not true happiness. And so that's why it's important to identify what is true happiness. I think true happiness is not having anxiety. It's not having depression. It's not feeling like this lamentation for the world. It's just saying, listen, things are bad right now, but I am confident in my own skin because I know I have a heavenly father that loves me. I know that I'm doing the things that I should be doing. I'm at peace. I'm aligned right now. And that's the true form of happiness because I feel secure. I feel safe. I feel safe regardless of whatever may come of me. And I'm sure that's what Mormon felt. Mormon was leading this army, even though he felt like it was doomed from the get-go. And guess what? Turns out that was correct, because Mormon ends up dying for this same army. But he doesn't care, because he knows that he was secure and happy in his own Father in Heaven. And that he was being led by him. So anyway, I wanted to point that out. Just take a little time to kind of highlight those two different types of sorrow, which I think is fascinating. And there really aren't two different forms of happiness. There's really only one true form of happiness, which I believe is tied to, you know, the intellectual honesty that you are doing what you need to be doing. You are living the true form of your life. You are living in concert with the gospel, with the church, with your values, whatever those may be. And that's what brings true happiness. That is happiness. That's real happiness. Everything else is fleeting. It's of the world. And it's not true. Anyway, hope you all enjoyed that. Hope you have a great weekend. 
and we'll catch you all next week. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could almost see it. Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time, I, I, if it takes time, I.